I want to take just a moment this morning and thank the congregation for the opportunity to come and be with you this week. It is certainly an encouragement to us to be with you, to become better acquainted, to spend time in fellowship with one another through our week and all the wonderful services and the singing and such a blessing to be a part of the, the church today. To see this group of young people who came and sacrificed of time that they could have been doing a lot of other things, but to be here to focus on spiritual things, they're to be commended for that sacrifice. And, but they will reap benefits of this time throughout, throughout the rest of their lives. And that's why these type of meetings are so important to the church. And I hope and pray that you've counted it a great blessing to be here and be a part of this meeting. I know we're all probably a little tired, and I know some of the houses that kept young people all week and had late nights and early mornings and a lot of work that has gone on, but I believe it's a good tired because we're tired from the work and the service that we've provided in the name of Jesus Christ. And anytime we do those things, that work is not in vain, and it will certainly bring about blessings in our lives. There have been some comments made about the encouragement from the teaching, and I appreciate that, but I want you to know that we are built up by our time with you. And anytime we worship God, we want to be edified, we want to be encouraged, we want to be strengthened and built up, but we are strengthened simply by being in your presence. And my wife and I and our kiddos are thankful for this great week that we've had together. This morning I want to talk to you about your worship and service in the Lord's church. You know, God has expectations that He has placed upon us in regards to our work and our service in the church. Last night, we talked about our life being a life that glorifies God. And that in every decision, in every action, in everything that we do, we ought to have a mindset that has the overarching desire to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And certainly that needs to be true in regards to our work and our responsibility as Christians within the working of a local congregation. You see, our membership certainly is in the kingdom of God, but when we live in certain areas, these congregations that we're blessed to be a part of, there are responsibilities that are laid upon us, not just as elders and deacons and leaders in congregations, but simply because I'm a child of God God has given me the responsibility to work and serve Him within the confines of the work of a local congregation. And when every member of the Lord's body is working and glorifying God and fulfilling the will for which they were designed to fulfill, we see congregations that are vibrant, we see congregations that are growing, and we see people that are continually being added to the body of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. That doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> But there is a design of God that He has placed within His church that if we will all fulfill our role, God will be glorified. Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. He tells him, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. God had set expectations upon this young man, Timothy, of how he ought to conduct himself in his work and his labor as an evangelist, as a part of the church. And you and I as Christians ought to understand that we're important to the work of the church. And that every Christian has a duty and a responsibility to serve God. But too often we become apathetic toward that responsibility. 
And we look at a thriving congregation such as this one that you have this morning, and we think, you know what? We can just sit back and enjoy the fruits of all the labor that's been put into it, and we don't have to really think about pushing forward. We were talking last night, and it's great to see a congregation of three to 400 people. It's hard to get a count of how many people are gathered here this morning. But you know, the goal of this congregation shouldn't be that in 10 years we're still three to 400 people, but that we continue to grow and expand this congregation and the reach and the effort that is put forth in this community. We want to see congregations that go from 100 to 200 to 300 to 400 people in a local area. Because the more people that we have that are truly being disciples of Jesus Christ, who are aware of their responsibility of how to conduct themselves in the house of God, the greater our reach and our impact in this world. And this morning, you are important to that mission. You have a responsibility toward God to participate in this work. Because as beautiful as this building is that has been constructed and is a place of comfort where we can come and we can worship God, through apathy, the building can be destroyed. You know, back home in East Texas, there in Jacksonville, there was a local business that had been there for about 60 years. And this building had stood strong and tall and everybody recognized this building and what it was. And I would drive by that almost every single day and kind of took it for granted that I drove by and saw this building. And one day I drove by and my eyes just kind of had to take a double take because that building was no longer there. Almost overnight they had raised that building to the ground and destroyed it and there was no remnants. You wouldn't even known it was there if you didn't know it was there the day before. And you know, buildings and Congregations can be destroyed like that almost overnight by people desiring not to serve God. But another way that congregations and buildings can be destroyed is through a lack of proper continual maintenance that has to be done. If you leave a building out in the elements and you don't perform the necessary maintenance and the upkeep of that building over time, what will happen? That building will decay and that building will fall apart. And apathy is one of the greatest issues facing our culture and facing our congregations today. This morning, it's not an indictment of this congregation as we consider this topic of apathy, but I want you as an individual Christian to think about your responsibility and honestly evaluate whether you have become apathetic toward your responsibilities in the church. Because throughout history, God's people had reached times where they had become apathetic and it brought a lot of destruction into the nation of God. In Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6, the Bible says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? But saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. But when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? You see, the Lord speaks to His nation, his, the nation of Israel, through Malachi the prophet and reveals to them that, guess what? You've become apathetic toward me. You think that you can bring anything before me that it's acceptable. 
Oh, you're going through the ritualistic practice of offering a sacrifice, but you're offering the blind and the lame when I've told you to offer the first fruits of your flock. Well, I've told you to offer the best to me as a sacrifice to me. You are bringing me the remnants of the scraps that you see are sufficient. And God had no respect for those sacrifices. And too often today in the church, that's how we think about our service to Him. We do all the things that we want to do. We take part in all the activities that we want to do. And ultimately, we offer to God whatever's left over. Do we really honestly think that's good enough for God? Malachi says, offer that to your governors. Offer that to your civic overseers. Is that going to be good enough for them? And certainly that's a rhetorical question. That would not be acceptable. And the nation of Israel struggled in their relationship with God because they would recognize His authority, they would serve Him, they would give Him the worship that He desired. And as long as they pleased Him, they were blessed. But as they looked out among them, they got distracted by other things. They began to worship false gods. They began to essentially tell God He wasn't important enough to them. Though they continued through these priests to offer these sacrifices, it wasn't what God designed for it to be. And God would have enough and He would punish them and ask them to repent. They would repent and this cycle continued on and on. Generation after generation. But you know what apathy ultimately creates? Apathy breeds laziness. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 18 says, Because of laziness the building decays, and through idleness of hands the house leaks. You see, when we become lazy in our spiritual life, guess what? We suffer. When we're diligent and we're studying and we're growing and we're participating in the services of the church and we're fellowshipping and we're doing all the things that we know would please God and we're doing that out of a heart that desires to serve Him first and foremost, we receive the blessings and we see strength and we see growth and we see development and we see spiritual maturity. But when we are lazy in those areas of our life, guess what we begin to see? We begin to see areas of destruction. We see those weaknesses exacerbated to the point to where they cause us to start to slip away and forget the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Someone doesn't wake up one morning and decide that I'm going to walk away from the Lord today. It is a gradual process, generally speaking, over time. And apathy is at the root cause of those issues. Proverbs 18 and verse 9 says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. You see, as apathy sets in, it breeds laziness, and laziness, laziness ultimately brings about destruction. And you ask, well, what does apathy look like? What I believe apathy looks like is 50% less. What do I mean by that? Most congregations may meet on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening and a Wednesday night. I believe that's the pattern in the worship services that are conducted here in this congregation. And typically speaking, on Sunday morning, you have a crowd full of people. And that's awesome. And we're uplifted and we're edified. But what can you expect in most congregations on a Sunday night? 
You know, groups are excited if they get 50% participation in those evening services. They're excited if they get 50% participation on a Wednesday night. And to be honest with you, that's apathy. <laughs> because for some reason, we have studied the Bible and we've come to the idea that Sunday morning is the only time that I'm required to worship God. But if our heart is truly seeking God first, and we're not apathetic toward our spiritual development, we're going to look at those other assemblies as blessings and great opportunities for me to be fulfilled and for me to fulfill a commandment of God to exhort my brethren. The worship assemblies of the church are not about you, but they're about God and they're about your fellow brethren. But we have this idea that everything in the world is about us. And if I think Sunday morning's sufficient for me and I've fulfilled my obligation to God, I will check that off my list and I will not see the value in other services that the church is providing for my spiritual growth. And that's apathy. And we see that in congregations of the Lord's body. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. And then he goes on to say, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, instead of looking at the Word of God and say, What is the least that I can do and still be okay with God? We ought to say, What, what is everything I can possibly give to Him to please Him? Those are two totally different mindsets. And for too long, individuals have tried to skate by and say, I'm going to give him the least that I can give and still feel justified in my own heart and mind, and we become apathetic. And that's not just toward the worship assemblies of the church, but that's in all the ministry opportunities that we have every day as Christians in this world. I want to ask you a few questions this morning pertaining to your commitment to this congregation and the work that they are striving to do in preaching the gospel to this community. And as you consider these questions, I don't want you to think about someone else. I want you to think about your work and your service and what you are doing. How many home Bible studies have, you been, have been hosted by members of your congregation? How many Bible studies have you arranged for friends or family to attend? How many people have you encouraged to visit this congregation? How many visits have you made to the hospital? How many visits have you made to the prison? How many fellowship opportunities have you attended and participated in? How many ministry opportunities have you seen the importance of participating in? How many meals have you provided for others? How many times have you opened your home and shared what you have with other people? How many times have you spoken of Jesus with those that are around you? If we go through that list and you've not done any of those things... Have you become apathetic toward God? Oh, you ritualistically come to a building once a week and sit on a pew. That's great. But we can't keep deceiving ourselves and believing that that's enough for God. That's not the sacrifice that He's looking to see in us today. What He's looking to see is that we have a heart that's truly seeking Him. 
and puts him above anything else that we could possibly desire to have in this life. And when he sees that kind of heart and we truly have that type of desire to serve him, attending the services of the church isn't even going to be a question. And we're going to see the spiritual growth and development that's necessary for us to fulfill the will of God. Because what apathy looks like is this right here. Does that look familiar to anybody? It wasn't a picture I took of this congregation earlier this week. <laughs> but I want to tell you, as you stand up in front of a group of people, it's interesting to, to witness what you see in a crowd. And I know you may think you're anonymous and you're just sitting there this morning and you may be one of these individuals. This young lady, I'm sure she has her Bible app open and she's following along with the sermon. She's not texting and she's not on social media. I'm Surely she's not. She's engaged in the service and she's listening and following along. This gentleman, when is the preacher going to stop? When's he going to sit down? This is torture. I had a long night and I really don't want to be here. She's not even trying. This one gentleman is encouraging this young man on the front. Hey, you're sitting on the front. The preacher can really see you if you're sleeping. Wake up. We don't know what they're doing. But we get used to these behaviors that, yes, we go to church. We go and we sit here and we sing four songs and we have a few announcements and we have a prayer and then we have another song and then the preacher gets up and he talks to us for hopefully 30 minutes or 55 or 60 minutes. And then we have a song and people may come forward, they may not, and then we have the communion service and we go through that ritual and then we have a few more announcements and maybe another song and then we say a prayer and then we go eat and... Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we do the same thing. And if we're not careful, guess what? Apathy sets in. And we think that coming and sitting on a pew in a building with the right name on it justifies us before God. God wants so much more. God wants us engaged. God wants us excited. God wants us to be fired up about our service to Him to be as motivated about that service as we are to do anything else in this life because without what He has called us to be, we are nothing. And without the grace and the mercy of God in our life through Jesus Christ, we understand it doesn't matter what we do. But because of that, it motivates us to provide to Him the worship and the service that He truly desires for us to give to Him. Notice this passage in Micah chapter 6. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Can I give him enough? Can I sacrifice enough to appease God and please him? And you know ultimately what Micah gives to us as the conclusion? He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And too often we've looked at God saying, How much do I have to give? Tell me what i got to sacrifice. I'll do it. I'll check it off my list and I'll be done and everything will be okay. And God the whole time is saying, You've missed the point. 
The whole point of what I want from you is that your heart is turned toward me and that you do justly, you do right. That you love mercy, that you're forgiving, and that you walk humbly with me. You see, you can't look at God and say, I'm going to do enough to appease Him, and then I can go about and do whatever I want, and I'm still justified and I'm okay, because it's a continuous walk with Christ that He requires as a life of sacrifice. We're commanded to what? Present our bodies a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable toward God. And as long as we're living, God needs to see the desire of us to present ourselves as that living sacrifice sacrifice for him don't let apathy set into your heart don't let apathy become the thing that breeds laziness that brings about destruction to your spiritual life and relationship with God care about the things of God make those things the priority in your home make those things the priority every single day as you strive to serve him you know all worship has to be purposed the worship that God has instructed us to provide and the order and method in which He has ordered us to provide that is with a purpose in mind. As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the end result and goal of all of the instruction that Paul was giving to the church at Corinth was that all things be done unto edification. That everything we do in the service of the church is designed to build up and to encourage. Our teaching needs to do that. Jeremiah 23 and 29 says, It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, he said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. See, our teaching in the church is very important. And any young man or older gentleman that gets up behind this pulpit and teaches the Word of God ought to realize the great responsibility that that carries with it. But that responsibility to teach isn't just on the person who's up in this pulpit teaching the Word of God to the congregation. The congregation has a responsibility to receive that teaching and be yearning for edification to be looking for ways that they can be engaged in the teaching of the church so that they receive what's necessary for their continued spiritual growth. And if we're sitting out there idly just listening to words go in one ear and out the other, guess what? We don't receive everything that we could out of someone who's up here teaching the Word of God. And I've heard people make the statement, well, I just don't like listening to them teach. It's not about the person who's teaching the message. It's about the message that they're teaching. And if someone gets up here and they're putting effort into a lesson to open up the Word of God and to speak of things that they feel passionate about or things that have been important that have helped them, as listeners, we ought to be engaged in that. And our teaching needs to be purposed. It needs to have a goal in mind of what we're trying to accomplish. I want you to look back at Nehemiah chapter 8. I believe at this point in Israel's history, they had, they had a deep desire to hear the Word of God. And it's evident by their reverence toward Ezra and the book of the law that he begins to open and to speak from. 
In Nehemiah 8 and verse 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Then in verse 5 it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, And the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. As the book is opened, and Ezra standing there about to teach the word of God to God's people, they, in respect and reverence, rose to their feet, they lifted their hands, they bowed their heads, and they were ready to receive the instruction from the Word of God. I'm not concerned about your posture this morning. You can sit on a pew with your back straight up against it, you can sit there with your legs crossed, but you know what I am concerned about? And what God is most concerned about this morning? Where's your mind? What are you thinking of right now? <laughs> of all the things that you could be focusing your attention and your energy upon, is it truly the Word of God or are there other things in your mind right now distracting you from what God would have you to hear? See, these people were focused solely on receiving the instruction from God. And when we have that kind of attitude toward our teaching service in the church, our teaching will improve. And what we get out of lessons that are taught will improve. And we won't be apathetic toward our role as teachers or our role as an audience listening to the Word of God being taught. Because the teaching in the church matters to God. What about in prayer? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6. Paul writes, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? You see, prayer is a powerful tool in the life of every Christian, but it's also a powerful tool within a congregation when we collectively focus our hearts and minds in a worship service to Him and one man gets up and leads our thoughts in that prayer. Through that prayer, is your mind engaged, truly thinking about the things that you ought to be praying for or listening to the words of the person leading that prayer and allowing your mind to be focused on those same things as we collectively pray to God together? Or does your mind wonder? Do you look at that as an opportunity to just close your eyes for a moment and to allow yourself to think about other things or try not to think about anything? You see, prayer is an engaging practice that we all have to be participating in. And we ought to do it with the Spirit and the understanding. And as those words are being spoken, our brother is leading us and he is communicating with God and God looks at all of our hearts collectively and we're communicating with him. And that's important. And we ought to be engaged and that practice, and that part of our worship toward God. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, Jesus said, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This can be a challenge, can it? Because as we pray to God, or we allow our mind to go into autopilot sometimes, and some of those same phrases just kind of seem to come out. 
And I know as we teach our children to pray and we're praying right before bedtime, a lot of times it's almost the exact same words. And, and that's okay because they're learning. But even in that, we try to communicate to them that, hey, listen, you don't have to say the exact same things every time. God just wants to know what's on your heart. And you need to be able to just openly communicate with Him. Now, the problem with the people that Jesus is addressing here is they thought that they could stand out in the streets and they could use big words and they could look very important in their prayers to God so that people would praise them and say, what a religious person he is. And God said, if that's what they're desiring, they have their reward. We ought to be humble in our prayers, but we also ought to be authentic and sincere. You know, there are certain words that I never use when I'm talking to people, but when I pray, some reason those words come to mind. All of a sudden, I become a King James scribe as I'm communicating with God. And I hear these, these, and thys, and, th and some of that's because what I'm doing is I'm almost quoting a passage or something that I've memorized. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But be careful that we don't just slip into those habitual prayers and we're saying all these words because that's just what we've always said. But truly open your heart to God and communicate with Him as you would your father. You know, when I talk to my dad, I don't approach him with fear and say, Father, may I speak to you for just a moment? I say, hey, Dad, can we talk? Now, I'm not saying we should be that casual with God, but understand that God wants to have a familiarity with you. And that familiarity brings about comfort and peace and understanding that, you know what, I don't have to be so formal when I open my heart up to God. He knows what's in there, and if I'm striving to serve Him, He wants to see that heart poured out before Him in prayer. And in that, we'll erase and get rid of some of those prayers that just seemingly we pray because we're supposed to pray. See, our prayers need to be purposed, whether it's in an assembly of the Lord's church or in our private life with God. Because if we're just praying because we think we have to pray, we've become apathetic toward what God really desires. And we need to be mindful of that. What about singing? I know this is hard to say after a week-long singing instruction where every morning Brother Timothy has stood up here and he has instructed us and taught us how to better praise God in song. And we've looked at all the verses that the Bible talks to us about the importance of fervent worship and a great desire to sing praise to God and what a blessing that is and opportunity. Yet we come to an assembly like this and someone gets up to lead a song and maybe we have the attitude, well, I don't like that song. Or I'm tired of singing that song. That's one of them new songs. I don't sing new songs. Are you singing to please yourself? Or are you following the instruction of God to open the mouth and the heart that He's given to you and say, it's not about me, and that song leader chose this song. Guess what? I'm going to sing it to the best of my ability. And if I don't know the song, I'll learn it. But too often, guess what we do? We just close the book and sit there. Or we say, well, I, I, I just can't sing as well as somebody else. Guess what? God gave you the voice you have. God created you the way He created you, and He gave you that voice, and He says, sing because it pleases Him. 
Whether your notes are pleasing to the individual sitting in front of you or beside you is of no consequence to God. And it shouldn't be of any consequence to us. For we ought to fulfill the command of God with a fervent heart that says, God, I'm singing and praising you because you made me. And you gave me this voice and I'm going to sing out as loud and to the best of my ability. Every opportunity I get. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's very evident that the Lord desired for our hearts and our mouths to be the instruments of praise that we perform for Him. And this morning, as we sang, I hope that you opened your mouth and you praised God. Now, I had somebody tell me this one time, well, I just really don't like singing that much. And I said, well, you're probably not going to like heaven. Because guess what we're going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be praising and worshiping God. We're going to be gathered around with all those other beings that God has created for His glorification. And we're going to be around His throne and we're going to be singing praises to Him. And this morning I'm not concerned if you hit that tay or that doe. But God is concerned that you sing. And that our voices blend together and bring honor to Him. I had a young mother that had a child that was about two years old. She said, you know, she can't read. She doesn't know all the notes yet. But boy, when there's a song that she recognizes, she sings as loud as she can. And she asked me, she said, you know, I, I try to keep her quiet, and I try to, you know, because she's distracting to other people. You know what I told that young mother? I said, let that baby sing. <laughs> Let that baby enjoy the worship service to God because if you stifle it at 2 and 3, you're going to be begging them to sing when they're 13 and 14 and they don't want to. Because it's not about what it sounds like in our ears. It's about the worship that God is receiving. And us in our humility ought to say, I'm going to sing the way He told me to sing because that's what He asked me to do and I'm going to give it to Him. Singing is powerful. We lost a dear sister in Christ about two years ago in Gallatin. This woman had been a rock in that congregation. Through all the ups and downs that they had been through, there was one constant, and it was her. And she got ill. And I remember when we would sit in church services when we first moved there 14 years ago, she sat behind my wife and I, and I would hear that alto voice. And it was beautiful. But through the years, guess what happened to that voice? It got weaker and weaker. But I would still hear it. And I knew in my mind, Sister Jonelle is singing with all her heart this morning. When she got ill and couldn't attend the services any longer, we would go visit her on Sunday afternoons and we would talk to her. And you know what she said she missed more than anything? She said, I miss communing. 
I miss remembering Jesus, but we were taking that to her and communing with her, so she still had that element that she was able to stay connected. She said, I like some of your sermons. <laughs> I miss some of those things, but I really miss the singing. The week before she passed, we took a small group over there and we sat around her bed and she had picked out her favorite songs and we began to sing those around her bed and to see the effort that she was putting forth just to get a little sound out of her voice. It made me realize at some point my voice is going to weaken. I'm not going to be able to sing quite as loud as I can now. And my heart is going to want to praise God, but the words may not come out like they once did. But God will still see my heart. And as she struggled to hit a note here and there, I learned an important lesson that day. Because that's what mattered to her, and that was the lasting impression that being in church her entire life had left upon her, that she wanted with all of her being to be able to worship and praise God. And you and I take it for granted, and we casually sit back and just go through the motions. You really think that's good enough for God? What about our communion? Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, the Bible says, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is broken or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. One of the things that's important about our worship is that every first day of the week, what do we do? We gather around this table. We partake of the body and the blood of our Savior. And we draw our minds back to that cross and His suffering and all that He did for us. But sometimes you talk to people and they say, well, we have communion, but we do it every three months or every six months or every month because if you did it every Sunday, it just wouldn't mean as much. And I want to tell you, when we become apathetic toward this, we give validity to that argument. Because if all we're doing is to come here to this morning, to this table... And someone says, well, we have the bread, we have the fruit of the vine, let's pray, let's get this over with. Then guess what? We're showing the world that they may be right, that it doesn't mean as much if we do it every first day of the week. But to fulfill the commandment of God, we do it every first day of the week, and every first day of the week it ought to be as much a part of our spiritual life as it was the first Sunday we partook after we obeyed that gospel of Christ. And that as, as I examine my life and the desperate need that I have for my Savior, I remember what He did, I remember the price He paid, and I remember how important that is to me as a Christian. The church at Corinth had a, a problem with this. And the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, reminds them, and he instructs them on how to properly observe the Lord's Supper. He commands them to let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Oh, they were gathering and they were having the Lord's Supper, but God said, you're spiritually dead. This morning, we've gathered together. I want to tell you, we've gathered together for more than the purpose of the Lord's Supper. That is a major component and very important for us. But we're here also to sing praises to Him. We're here to pray to God. We're here to learn and be instructed in His Word. And certainly, we would not ever want to leave off that we're here to remember the death of Jesus. But if when we come to that point in our service, you allow your mind to wander and you're not focused intently on your need for Jesus and you're not examining yourself and doing those things, you may have become apathetic toward God. And that doesn't mean as much as it should in your life. So, with all these things in mind, how do we fix apathy? You know, that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God is it doesn't just give us the problems that we have. It doesn't just show us the reproof of where we're wrong, but it brings about the correction that's needed as well. And I believe the greatest thing we can do to fix apathy is to remember the greatest command of God. Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, because if you truly love God with every ounce of your being... You will not become apathetic, and you will fulfill all the other commands that He has given to you. But when the heart becomes apathetic, and we're not giving Him every ounce of our effort and energy that we could possibly give to Him, all of a sudden apathy can begin to sit in. So this morning, I want to remind you, love God. Love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength, and dedicate your life to Him, and then everything else will work out. But that has to come first. Secondly, this morning you may need to rededicate, refocus, and return to God. Because as that apathy sets in, it brings about laziness, and laziness brings about destruction. And if you've been apathetic in your service toward God, and you've become spiritually lazy, something needs to refocus your mind. In 2 Kings 23, we read of the account of the people of God returning to God through Josiah, the young king. The book of the law had been found in the rubble and the destruction of the temple, and as he had that book of the law delivered to him, he told them to gather the people together to read the book of that law and notice what these people did. Verse 2 says, The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great, and read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. You may be at a point in your life and your relationship with God that you have become apathetic spiritually. Guess what you need to do? Rededicate yourself. Be reminded of the things of God and how important those need to be in your life and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me get back where I need to be. Take a stand for the covenant. 
That's a beautiful picture in my mind because I imagine Josiah, that young king, reading the book of the law, and all of a sudden, just like they did in Nehemiah with Ezra, the people stand. And they rededicate themselves to God and they refocus their hearts and minds on what's truly important. And you may need to do that this morning to fight against the apathy that wants to set in in your heart. Thirdly, you have to leave everything else behind. Luke chapter 5 and verse 9, as Jesus called his early disciples, the Bible says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. You see, they had doubts. They had fears, but once they saw the power of Jesus Christ, there was nothing else that was really that important. They left their livelihood behind. They left those boats sitting there because Jesus had a greater mission for them to fulfill. And whatever the greater mission in your life is, if there's something hindering you from providing that type of service and work in the local congregation, figure out a way to lay that aside and give your all to Christ. We have to be willing to walk away from it all if Jesus calls us to. These men were, and ultimately their lives were blessed. And I believe if we'll do those three things, if we'll love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, if we'll rededicate, re refocus, and get back to the things that are most important, and we're willing to have the heart that says, I'll leave everything for Jesus, how could apathy set in? <laughs> it can't. But too often, we become lukewarm in our faith. Revelation 3 gives a stern warning to that church at Laodicea. That as Jesus looked at their service and their work, He said, you know what? I wish you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, it's unpleasing to me and I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's a very nasty image, isn't it? To think of someone spewing something out of their mouth, and he's talking to them about their service to God because they had become apathetic toward him. And they thought what they offered would be good enough for him. And he said, you've forgotten me, and you need to repent and change. Have you become lukewarm in your service to God? Because I honestly believe you're here this morning because you want to serve God. Something in your heart has brought you here this morning to serve God. You know what? I like to drink Gatorade. Lemon lime Gatorade is probably my favorite beverage. I know Timothy's is Dr. Pepper. Mine's Gatorade. This drinking of Gatorade brings me satisfaction. In this drinking of Gatorade, I want this morning to represent our desire to serve God. I want to sing and praise God, and it brings me fulfillment to sing and praise God. It brings me fulfillment to listen and to study His Word. It brings me fulfillment to have fellowship with my brethren. It brings me fulfillment to be here on a Wednesday night. 
it brings me fulfillment to come to singing instruction and to learn better how to praise God. And all the while, we're serving God. That's great, isn't it? There's another drink I like. I like chocolate milk. Any of you like chocolate milk? Don't raise your hands. I like chocolate milk, but you know what this chocolate milk represents? The other things in life that I think bring me fulfillment. Because what happens is we have this duality in our mind. And I like to serve God and praise Him, but I like to drink alcohol. I like to fellowship with other Christians, but I like to smoke pot. I like to sing. I like to study. I like to grow spiritually. But I like to look at pornography. I like to be around God's people, and I like to pray to Him in secret. I like to receive blessings from His Word. But I like to gossip and backbite and devour other people. Can you imagine what that tastes like? <laughs> but that's what we do. You're here this morning because something in your heart says, I want to serve God. But some of you, well, hang on, let me say this again. Some of us, Maybe wanting to partake too much in the world, too. And those things bring us joy and fulfillment, and we just drink and drink and drink. And ultimately, here's what we're left with. You know, when I was in high school, if you made a 70 on your report card, you passed and you could play football. So we, I kind of trained myself that, well, 70% is good enough. But, you know, with God, 70% isn't good enough. Because you could be 70% full of your desire to serve God and worship Him, but what happens if I just add in about 30% of the world and all the things that this world offers me to try to draw me away from God? I hadn't figured out a way to do lukewarm. This is as close as I can get. And we tell God, God, I'm giving you 70% of myself. I'm going to keep 30 for me, and you're going to be pleased with that. And God, I'm going to bring this to you as a sacrifice, and it's going to be good enough for you, and I expect you to drink it, and not only drink it, but be satisfied with it, and be pleased with it, and give me all the promises that you've promised to give to me, because I gave you this. And you know what we expect God to do? Drink every bit of it. Yes, it's as bad as you can think it is. <laughs> but I hope it makes the point that we of our own power can't be good enough. We need Christ. But God wants to see a heart that only desires to serve Him. And there's a difference. Because when apathy sets in, we lower our standard and we allow more of the world to take over more of our heart. And it's disgusting to God. Because I want to remind you 
of the end of the story there in Malachi chapter 3. Remember we started off talking about the sacrifices that they offered before God? They were still sacrificing, but they were offering what? The blind and the lame? You know what God told them? He said, ultimately, I want to bless you. I want you to have your needs met. Not only that, I want you to be prosperous and be very blessed in this life. And he told them, all you've got to do is walk with me and obey my word. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, when we believe God and we trust Him as we talked about last night, obedience isn't even a question. It's a natural process that comes from that belief and trust. But as apathy sets in, we forget the promises of God. And this morning, I want you to be reminded of that. God wants to bless you abundantly, but He's not going to do it if your mind is focused on the things of this world and out of one side of your mouth you're praising Him and out of the other one you're serving yourself and doing whatever you want to do with your life. It's not going to work. You've got to be willing to give Him everything. And when every brother and sister in Christ is dedicated to that, these spiritual buildings and these congregations, guess what? They won't ruin because of apathy and a lack of care and maintenance. You are a blessed people in Plainview, Texas. But my question is, where is this congregation going to be in 25 years? We can't sit here and say, man, we've got a strong congregation. We can sit back and enjoy it. Guess what? we still got work to do. And it takes every single one of you being dedicated to the work and the mission of the Lord's kingdom. And in that, we'll be blessed. This morning, what are you presenting toward God as your reasonable service? Are you giving God truly everything that's in your heart, or are you keeping back part of it for yourself? You know the answer to that. We know it's through baptism that we can be born again into the kingdom of God. We can have the forgiveness of sins and we can truly become His children. And this morning, if you need to be baptized to take part in that, we want to serve you. And we'd love to see you do that and obey that gospel this morning. But if you've done that in your life at some point, but you're struggling this morning with really being dedicated to Him, and your life is a nasty mixture of God and this world, today Jesus can purify you. And through prayer, you can be reconciled and restored to where you need to be, but you can't do it on your own. We're pleading with you this morning. Jesus is pleading with you to come to Him and let Him meet whatever spiritual need that you have so that you can be right with God. All you got to do is come while together we stand and sing.